Hello, welcome to Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And today we have Dad Life. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am good. And today you're going to share your story with us. Yeah. So, you know, my my story with alcohol started off, you know, at a young age. I, I grew up with a, a parent who was an uh, abusive alcoholic, rather manipulative, and um, and would kind of shut herself in a room for days at a time and um, and just drink. And after a while, I, you know, by the time I was about 14, I started to steal from the, the, the booze I could find downstairs, usually vodka. And, uh, you know, that went from, you know, having a few ounces here and again to uh, filling less, you know, water bottles and taking it to school with me. And, and that kind of, you know, really began my uh, time with, uh, you know, my unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So you yeah. also have... Um a younger brother and I do how old were you when you had to start taking care of him? I was about 13 when I uh, started uh, caring for him pretty much full time. And how much, um, how much younger is he than you? He's nine years younger than I am. So um, yeah. So it was, it was quite a, an adventure <laughs> yeah. at times. So you know, to a 13 year old, a four year old, you know, getting up to get a kid ready for school and or for preschool and then getting myself ready for school. Wow. You know, I was essentially a, a single parent through high school. So you're at 14, you're taking care of your younger sibling, your br younger brother, and then you're sneaking the vodka too. Yes. Yeah. I do do it mostly after school, but sometimes before school and um, you know, and then, you know, these, you know, as I got older and I finished high school, then, you know, it would be, you know, um, uh, uh, I was able to, to drink a little more freely and, you know, I was out, had a job and. Did anybody uh, ever I, catch you in school, uh, smelling on you or anything? No, nobody ever, nobody ever called me out on it. You know, I, I would have to think that my mother knew that I was stealing it, but she didn't want to talk about my drinking for fear we'd have to talk about hers. So I don't know about you, but I always knew exactly how much alcohol I had in the house. I, my wife would hide it from me. I, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you're going through high school. I mean, that's junior high school and high school, basically drinking before school and after school. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, you know, after, um, after, after school, you know, I, I went and did, um, I went and I got some training, uh, some EMT training and CNA training. And I worked as an ER tech. I, uh, were in, I was an EMT for a while and wow. Uh, you know, and I, and, you know, at, at points it would seem like everything was going fine, you know, just have, have some drinks in the evening, you know, maybe even just some beers. And it, it all seemed like it was perfectly fine. And no matter how much I drank, there were never hangovers. And wow. so, you know, and, it, and so I felt great. And I moved about my day most of the time. And, you know, um, and, you know, and I said this the other day in the, um, 
uh, I am sober group that, you know, uh, we, we read the, um, the book, the unexpected joy of being sober. And she said in that book, I never had the shakes until I did. And I never had a, this problem until I did. And, and that was very much how it was. Everything, nothing seemed like a problem because there was never any negative consequence with it. I never got a DUI. I was never jailed. I never lost my job. I never had my things taken from me. Yeah, so it, every day, it was just normal. Right. Was just I, normal. I was just, it was just how I lived my life. It was just a normal thing. And I never had any particular negative consequence to go with it. And so I didn't even raise red flags amongst the people around me because these things, they're like, no, alcoholics find themselves in jail a lot. Alcoholics get DUIs. Alcoholics get all these other problems. And so, you know, nobody ever really uh, not made any notice of how much of how of how out of control it had become. And you know what? Um, that is something I'm finding out that I didn't know was um, it seems like the majority of people are kind of like you professionals uh, that are and nobody knows that um, uh, they have a problem with alcohol. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I imagine some people probably saw it to some degree or another, but maybe not to the extent that it had gotten to, um, you know, where, you know, I was going, I was drinking, you know, you know, half a handle a night. Um, what's, a, what's a handle? It's one of those 1.75 bottles of whiskey. Oh, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it's amazing that it, <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't believe I drank that much anymore you know, every day. Wow. So, yeah, that, uh, and that, so, that went on in, for yeah, years. For years. Oh, so uh, uh, during this time, any of this time, you didn't wake up with hangovers or, or anything then, huh? You know, in, in my when, when I got into my mid 30s, I started to get some hangovers in the morning, you know, and I was like, well, you know, I guess I'm just getting a little less tolerant of that. And but, you know, I, I never actually let myself see that as a sign that something wrong was not uh, something was wrong here, that I was uh, um, hurting myself, you know, or anybody else. And then in the medical, you know, in the healthcare um, world, there, you guys, there's a lot of drinking that goes on in the healthcare world, isn't there? There is, and among some people, for sure. Because I, I dated a girl one time that was a nurse, and she, she could definitely put it down. <laughs> you know, there's definitely times when you really feel like you need to blow off some steam. And so, you know, after something happens, you have some particular incidents at work, and you just, you know, you saw something you didn't really care to see. And so you... You know, you go and you wash it away with whiskey. And, you know, I think that the uh, I, I think that the lie that that told has become more and more clear to me over time. And that now, you know, those things all resurfaced, all those things I drink to I drank to suppress have all come to the surface over time. And I've been forced to actually sit with them and to make right with those feelings. Yeah, because in order you, to move you guys definitely see a lot. Um, and you see that like a lot in IAS with the health care workers that are in IAS. So, yeah. So uh, go ahead. So, um, 
you know, so along the, along the way, uh, when I was in my early thirties, I got married. Um, and, uh, when I was 35, uh, my daughter was born, you know, and I, and I said early on that I was not going to let myself be an abusive parent. I was not going to let myself fall into a trap of being manipulative and being pretty much treated the way that I got treated is, you know, being somewhat isolated from my parents, uh, growing up, um, that she deserved a childhood and she deserved to rely on me to provide it. So, um, so the night of my last drunk, which was March 19th, 2020, I, uh, I passed out downstairs, which was not uncommon. That was pretty much a nightly thing. I would pass out. And, well, uh, let's but, get to that part. So you had gone from really not having a problem in your life then to where now you're passing out nightly. Is that right? Yeah. And, and at this point, I knew I had a problem. At the, at the, you know, by the time this came along, and, you know, and I don't remember exactly when I had that particular uh, revelation that this that I was now I, I had crossed the line, but I knew I was drinking alcoholically. I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew that I was out of control, and I knew that as much as I said I wouldn't drink today, I knew that I would drink today. And then, did you were you waking up like? And I like to ask this question a lot. Like the other that all of us really talk about the three in the morning, um, wake up at three in the morning, feel like shit, uh, feel like you have all that shame and that guilt. Did you go through all that too? Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't wake up at three in the morning for it. I, I usually, um, would, would pass out downstairs around midnight and I would wake up at around three and stagger to bed. Stagger to bed. Uh, and then, you know, well, I mean, I guess that's, you know, usually I, I don't, I don't really remember going to bed much during the, the last uh, year so, or two. So you were like drinking into blackouts. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I definitely have a lot of memory loss for those last, you know, those periods of time, like waking, I'd wake up and not have any idea how I made it to bed. And Was that affecting so. your marriage too? It was. I mean, at times, you know, uh, she would make comments and she doesn't really approve of drinking in the first place. But, um, you know, she doesn't you know, drink much. She doesn't. She uh, came from a family that really didn't approve of it. So, um, yeah, so there, there were times when there would be discussions about it. But there was, you know, it was I, I always shut it down as quick as I could. It was always that. No, no, it's all it's all good, you know. I, I just got to, you know, and, and, and to some degree, I believe my lies. I would say, oh, look, look, if you had to deal with the stress I'm dealing with right now, believe me, you'd want to drink, too. And, you know, and, and I just have to get through once I make this next benchmark, I won't need it anymore. You know, sure. and, and none of that was ever true. But, you know, I guess I believed it because that's what I really wanted to believe also, that I could find a way to drink in a healthy way someday and that um, maybe I just had too much stress. And that's was that, what I kept doing. Was any of that part of your, uh, did you try to work moderation into your drinking at all? Yeah, at times. Yeah. I would sit there and, and I would take, I would, I would bring in, you know, so much from the garage or keep some out in my uh, truck. I'd keep, you know, like a, you know, a small flask or something inside only and say, all right, when this is gone, that's it. It's gone. <laughs> 
And then, but as soon as it's gone, you know, you got nice buzz starting. And you're like, no, no way. I'm, I'm heading out there to get the rest. And <laughs> hey, I got you, man. <laughs> that, it, 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 it never stopped at any of the moderation benchmarks. The, the only time I had a hard stop is if I was out of alcohol. So. But all your planning all went to hell. Yeah, it, it, it all went to hell. Uh, you know, and again, I said about the night on March 19th, um, my daughter had a bad dream and tried to wake me up and I was passed out. And I don't remember this, but eventually she went and got my wife and uh, got her up and my wife took her back to bed and took care of her. And um, and then I guess she went back to bed. I don't actually know. But then uh, a little bit later, I woke up in my stupor and I walked out of the house. And I set the alarm off and, and I hear the alarm blaring and I go back to the keypad, but I'm too drunk to figure out how to turn it off. And so, what you know, I, yeah, it, it was definitely, it was a, a bad night. And, you know, you know, um, you know, and, and I, I, I got up in the morning and I, and I was like, we need to talk about this. I re I remember last night. I don't have a, a ton of memories from that night. But I mean, I, I remember enough to know that the stuff she told me was exactly what happened, that it all fits together. And, you know, and, and, and it occurred to me in that way that I had failed as a father. And that, that just brought me to tears that day. And I can almost feel coming up now uh, yeah, just to think about it. And, 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 and I promised myself right then and there that I would actually, I would actually try. I would actually for real try not, I'm going to promise not to drink or I'm going to promise to cut back or I'm going to promise anything else that I understand that I will never, ever drink in a healthy way again, that it will never happen. That if I drink, it will be in, in a way to abuse alcohol. Um, and that, and then I, I, I went to a few AA meetings and sat quietly and listened. And then I finally, uh, finally, uh, I posted on the I am sober app. So how did you uh, find then, that? Was that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually found that like a year before and it was like, uh, and I kept, and I would, I thought I would use it as a counter, but then I realized there was like a whole community in with that, but you know, I would just reset every day, reset every day, reset every day. And then I was like, this is stupid. And I deleted the app. <laughs> and, and of course, and it was stupid because I wasn't using it. Right. <laughs> you know, so it, it was, it was ridiculous to, to have it take up space on my phone while I wasn't participating in it. Yeah. You know, but I finally did post it there. And then I finally went to an AA meeting and actually shared. And I told them everything that had gone on with me. My, I told them my relationship, I, I shared way longer than I probably had time for. And I felt about as low as I've ever felt in my whole life. And I'll tell you that the thing that really gave me that first gleam of hope right afterwards was my, uh, my sponsor, the guy who ended up being my sponsor was in the meeting and he, uh, and he said, Hey, you're in the right place. And the good news is you never have to feel this way ever again. Cool. And I had a, a weight that just came off my shoulders. And I mean, yes, it was a, it was a long, hard road forward still, but you know, at least I, I believed that someone was in my corner as somebody who understood. Yeah. Cause up to this point, 
I mean, it's just been all you alone pretty much, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I that's kind of how I, I, I compartmentalized things to the point where, yes, in a, in a way I really was, you know, living a, a solo life. And, it, and it's taken a lot of time to learn how to uh, to share and to let myself be vulnerable in that way. You know, that's why, I mean, we were talking before we started recording here that uh, that this was something that, you know, it was hard for me to think about doing because, you know, th- th- this is a, this is really, you know, putting, putting myself out there. Yes, and that, it is. Uh, th- this was something six months ago, a year ago, I would never have even thought about doing. If you'd asked me, I would just would have said no <laughs> and moved on about it and probably never thought of it again. Yeah, because this is, I mean, you're sharing some intimate stuff here. Um, and there's a lot of fear in that. And there's a lot, of, there, there's others that have come before you, man. I, I salute everybody that's out here on this podcast because this is going to help other people. And hopefully we get more men on here too. Like, I mean, you're, you're the first man we mentioned before that you're breaking the glass ceiling for the men <laughs> on this podcast. You know, and I salute you that you're doing this. You're in a you're in the arena, but you're not just in, in the arena here. Um, you've really got involved into your sobriety, haven't you? I have. And it, it you know, uh, and, and I, I love to tell this story. Um, you know, one of the first times I met one on one with my sponsor, um, we, we met on Zoom, but it was still one on one. Uh, and we spent about an hour and a half talking and I, after we were finished, I said, Hey, you know, thanks for taking the time to spend with me. I appreciate it. You know, it's going to help, you know, the step work's been helpful. And he said, well, believe it or not, you've helped me more than I've helped you. And I was like, well, that's some bullshit, but I guess that's a nice thing to say. So I won't argue with the guy, but you know, it really, it does ring true when, you, when, when you talk to somebody who's struggling, who's new in sobriety, who's early in sobriety, it really does help me more than it helps them. And it really helps me to know that maybe it will make all the difference for them. You know, and, you know, if I had one hope for anything that I do um, in the sober world, it is that maybe I'll say something, maybe I'll do something that gives somebody else that hope I got that first day in AA. That hope that you get that and i get too that's and that's why i'm doing this podcast because i'm not paid to do this i don't any monies that are coming for this are coming out of my pocket but it's not about me it's about giving back all and um when we get to this place and you're stepping out of your comfort zone that's like it restores the soul you know it does it does and and you don't realize when you're drinking how much you stifled your emotional growth um, until you have about three or four months of sobriety behind you. And then all the emotions you work so hard to suppress with alcohol start to surface. And then you're, you're forced to either go back to drinking to put them back down or to face them and to learn how to sit with them. So you're, you're all in it in recovery. And then you started sharing, uh, some some zoom meetings too yeah um you know the, the first meetings that i chaired were aa meetings um some of the newcomers meetings once you have three months of sobriety they encourage you to to chair a meeting to be in service to the groups 
Um, and, and I found that, you know, rewarding to come in and pick a topic and to try to, you know, and, and really to pick a topic that I feel like maybe I don't understand well in sobriety and, and let the guys who have been there five years, 10 years, let them give me their perspective on it. Um, and that really gave me a lot. Um, for, as far as the, uh, for the IAS group, I, I started chairing for them, um, uh, when they started the Tuesday night meeting and I said, uh, you know, I'd be willing to help out with that. And so the second month that that meeting was up, they asked if I would, uh, do that. And I, I was more than happy to, cause you know, for the, for the months uh, I had been with the, the, the meeting when there was only one meeting. And even before I discovered that, you know, I got so much support from, uh, from the group, just in, in reading people's posts and having people respond to mine and, and, and having a community that really got me. Um, and that actually cared whether, how I was doing and actually wondered if I was doing well. So, um, I really felt like I'd gotten a lot out of this group and if there was something I could do to help it back, I, I really wanted to do it. So let's talk, you know, and I've said before, we're not promoting any apps or anything, but you know what, that's where I got sober too. And even though we're not promoting it, we, there's no problem talking about it because, it's the I am sober app. And in that there's people, it's like a you have a friggin' AA meeting 24 hours a day, however many minutes there is in a day, at your fingertips and your disposal. But not only is it like an AA meeting, you actually get to share uh what you're feeling, and then people can come back and you can either encourage or be encouraged both ways. Absolutely. In in the early days, it really meant a lot when people who had, you know, months or even a year under their belt would comment on something I posted and say, you know, keep it up. You know, you, I know this is hard, but you're on the right track. Keep moving forward. And so, you know, I, I do try to make sure I comment now on people in early sobriety and, you know, and try to let them know that, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I, and we all understand that that, that first 12 weeks is, is very difficult. You know, well, the, the chemical factor is working out of your system and the, the mental factor is coming back into order. Um, and it, it really, it is hard to keep your emotions in check during that time and to, you know, almost feel like you're in physical pain. So, but to, to, to keep, to keep that, to keep the hope alive because it will get better. And the cool thing is about in this community, and I call the community Silvertown. I started doing that when I first got into it, is that um, it doesn't matter what technique you use. Like you, you use more AA. Am I, I do. Right? And yes. um, I've been, and then I'm somebody that is more like uh, I, I get into what Annie Grace and Craig Beck do, but it doesn't matter what technique you use or theories you believe in it's everybody under one umbrella and with one goal of sobriety. And that's really, really cool. Right. To, to, you know, if AA is not for you, then that's fine. It, it, it do whatever, whatever helps you get sober and to, to realize that there's a difference between being dry and being sober. Yes. That, you know, you, you cannot drink and, you know, be miserable all the time, you know, or you can get sober and do the work. And it, it doesn't have to be a, the traditional 12 step program where you do that work. 
there are, are therapists you could do that work with. There's the app. There is Smart Recovery. There's there, there's literally a, a dozen resources out there that are top notch that are ready to help. So it, the the thing is, at least for me, I had to be ready to listen. And yep. before I hit bottom, I would not have listened. I would have told them that their program was stupid and that I'd stop drinking when I was good and ready. When I came to IAS, I didn't even know about now. Let's see, I'm 57. My mom put me into rehab when I was around 14 or so. So that's um, that's a lot of years. 1974 was, I think, the first year that I went into the 12 step. And I, that's all that I knew that was out there was the 12 steps. I didn't know that there was anything else. And so that's what's cool about um, online is you all of a sudden there's all these resources I never knew about. There's podcasts, there's apps. There's a lot of information out there to get sober. Definitely so. And I think that the first thing everybody thinks about when they think they need to stop drinking is they think of AA because it's the most well-known, you know, um, sober resource. Which which helps millions and millions of people. Yes. AA is a good program. You know, I got sober with the AA program. I mean, you know, not to suggest that you shouldn't do AA, but, you know, uh, or to suggest that you necessarily have to have it. There are, uh, there are a ton of good resources out there that the, uh, you know, uh, just as long as you are in recovery and not just staying dry. So here's what I was the other day. I just had this light bulb moment because there's a lot of, Oh, you hear comments about the guy that's been sitting in the same chair in the AA meeting for 26 years. Right. I, I don't know if you've heard those comments, but I have. Sure. Oh, I don't want to be like that guy sitting in that chair. That's been there for 26 years, the same chair. Then the other day I, I realized, wow, that guy's not there because he has to be. It's because he wants to be, he's giving back. He's feeding his soul. That's and that's right. And the meetings, the meetings help fuel your recovery, you know, and, and especially, yeah, when, when somebody says something like, hey, you seem to have got your drinking under control. How can you keep going to those meetings? Well, you know, the meetings, the, the drinking's under control because I'm going to the meetings, right. you know, the, the, it's under control because I give out my phone number at those meetings and I and I hope that people will call me. So let's talk about. Um, you just got a year, right? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's huge. Because I think that's when I first saw you on the IAS was that you had just got a year. That's the first time I'd ever seen you. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that was just uh, on the 20th. And that that was uh, definitely a moment for me. I, I really never believed I'd make it this far. So uh, I, I was I, I was definitely, <laughs> you know, beyond words for a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's just a huge a year. I mean you can really go out without a day of drinking. Yeah, and I I never made it more than maybe 3 or 4, you know, before I would, you know, before I'd break and go drink again. So, you know, it it just took it, you know, it really took the ability to have some to to start in with introspection and to look inward and to see what I'm trying to actually suppress here and to say, you know, um, do I really want to suppress this? And, uh, and the, the, the point was made to me not too long ago 
that these uncomfortable feelings, they, they're not there by accident. That, that, that feeling is natural. That emotion is natural. It's supposed to be where it is. So why would you want to make it stop? I'm like, well, I guess I, I guess I don't. I guess I want to think about it. I want to work with it. I want to process it. And then I won't have anything to need to suppress with alcohol. So. Yeah. So um, the catalyst that got this ball rolling, though, was your daughter. Was that night with your daughter? And was that yeah. the last night that you drank that night? Yeah. I never drank again. You know, I hope that one day she gets to grow up and hear this because uh, it's only going to be on audio and know that um, her dad loves her so much that he turned his life around. Because I think that's huge, man. And I just give you so much credit for doing that because between us, we have six kids and uh, you, you did something that I've never been able to do all the way up until my, my forties. So I salute you. I think it's just awesome. Well, I was 39 when I got sober. So <laughs> what is that? What, that's like the Israelites that went around the mountain 40 years. We all got to go around the mountain for 40 years. Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> but, so you're. Yes. You know, I, I hope she does hear this someday. And I, I, I hope that she knows how much I love her. Um, and, and I do try to be very open about this. You know, we talked about my, uh, sober anniversary. I talked, you know, in, in five-year-old speak, you know, I, I talked to her that, you know, uh, that alcohol wasn't good for me and that I was using it too much and that I decided I couldn't have a good life if I kept that with me. And so I decided to, you know, get rid of it. Yeah. That is so cool. And the, there's, you know, I can't help but say this, that sobriety is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, just in every part of our lives. What other benefits have you gotten? You know, I, I've really gotten the ability to, to understand stress management. I really didn't understand before that I was always living in this fight or flight world where, I, I mean, I was constantly in crisis mode and you know, and, and, I, and I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, when was the last time I yelled at somebody in traffic? <laughs> oh, really? Like, like it, it's been forever. You know, I, I mean, you know, I don't get mad as easily as I used to get. And, you know, and I don't act the way I used to get. And things that used to drive me crazy just roll off my back now. That's cool. It's, it's definitely it's definitely put forward a better version of me. And. Uh, and I think that the, the, the message I try to keep telling myself is to remember the work is never done. Complacency will only lead me back to where I started. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I was sober nine years, right. And then um, I got complacent and I didn't respect it. And I started drinking again. My brother died. I started drinking and it's taken me nine years to get off of it. And that, that tiger in our head is so big. If you're not watching out for it um, and manage it, it will overrun you again. Well, and that's it, you know, and, and I say, I say to people sometimes, I said, you know, it's like that, the devil on your shoulder is saying one drink won't hurt you. And then the angel on the other side's like, he's right. It's cool, man. Go ahead. It's like, <laughs> Oh no, nothing good happens when you two agree. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. 
<laughs> so, uh, um, do you like if you do you get still get cravings or um, do you ever have those? Do you ever re- or romanticize having a drink? And what do you do about it if you do? Yeah, I mean, once in a while, and you know, um, you know, but most of the time when I find myself, you know, looking for a drink, and I, I kind of had a moment recently where I was where I sort of thought about it, you know, um, I got an email that popped up in, you know, from, you know, local liquor store and, um, you know, and I was like, you know, I wonder how much, I wonder if I could get away with it. I wonder if I, you know, if I would get caught having, you know, and then I was like, you know, no, no, I called, I called my sponsor and I talked to him for a while, you know, and then I went to a meeting and I was like, like, you know, I, I know, you know, I, I don't really have a meeting to go to right now, but I'm going to find a meeting somehow, somewhere, and I'm, I'm going to go to that meeting and I'm going to, I'm going to sit through it and I'm going to talk about this and, and I've got to keep moving forward because those thoughts are going to happen and they happen to us all. You know, the, the, the question is not that they happen. It's how do you respond to it? Yes. And I, I think that we're going to have to live. I mean, that loop is built in our minds. It's not going anywhere. No. It's just, it's how we learn to deal with it. And it's just like a computer. You can hit, we could hit pause right here. It stops. But once you push play again, it's playing. And I like that analogy because, you know, something they say in AA a lot is to play the tape through. And that is the one thing. So what happens if I go back out? Well, would it be a one-time thing? Probably not. Um, you know, would I live long enough to get sober again? I don't know. And, you know, if I had to find something to be afraid of in the middle of that, it would be that. And, you know, if we go back to, you know, thinking about our families and everything else, I mean, I think about the look on my daughter's face when she finds out that I drank myself to death. And that, that is just unacceptable. I could yeah. never, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't promise I'll never drink again. I could never make that promise, but I, I, I really don't mean to ever drink again. Yeah. We don't, uh, I don't look that far ahead. There's just, no yeah, reason. I, can't. I, I don't even know what job I'm going to have. Uh, I have a job now. It could end tomorrow. You know, and I may have to find a new job. I just don't know what's going to be happening in my future. But I do know this. Today I'm in the arena and I don't want alcohol. I don't want it in my life. You know? No. And that's the hardest part is to learn to live one day at a time and not to over plan your life. You know, I especially I really think that, you know, people who uh, who, who were abused as, as children, we try to over plan. We try to over simplify we try to overmake things and so that we have everything is perfect and they have no reason to be upset with us if everything is just perfect and you know and that is something that you know you take to your work ethic that's something you take into school with you that's something you take everywhere into your adult life and then you get sober and you realize exactly why you've been doing all these things and you realize you need to rewire and that it's okay to make a mistake the world will spin just as it's done when you thought you were doing it perfectly. Now, and go ahead, finish your talk. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Also, you know, it seems like that there's um, a belief out there when you get so much sobriety that all of a sudden you step into Kumbaya land. 
all of a sudden you you have this <laughs> no more ego and no more you have all all the patience. I just want to tell a lot of people that's bullshit because you know what? I'm still stuck with me. And um, I was sober nine years before, not like I am now, because this time I'm digging. I didn't dig back there back then. And I just wrote a post. I don't know if you read it about, you know, if you see me in the arena riding uh, on a looking all Zen and shit, riding on a magic carpet, knock my ass off because that's not who I am. (laughs) No, I I mean, I'll say that I am a little bit more of a Zen personality now than I was a year ago. Um, But that is a a result of, of doing the work. And if I stopped doing the work, then I, I would see myself uh, sliding back in the other direction again. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I like the life I've built now. I like the person I'm becoming much better now. Um, and for the first time in my life, I actually feel like I deserve to be happy. That's cool. um, Yeah. And I've never really hoped for that for myself. I've always felt like I was sort of a, a piece of shit that didn't deserve it. And uh, you know, that, uh, that I was a fraud, that I, I didn't belong in any, any room full of people who were really good at their jobs or their, relationships or that I just didn't measure up to anybody. And so, you know, it's, it's really taken a a whole new place for me to come and say, I think that I'm worth it too. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. It's really cool where you can, so you're comfortable in your own skin now. Very much so. Yeah. And, you know, you know, they talk about serenity and they talk about, um, you know, finding some peace of mind. And, and I I think to a degree, I found it. Um, Now, you know, I think that we all go in this idea of thinking you hit one year, you've hit this pinnacle. And, you know, now you, you get your free t-shirt, your invitation to the barbecue, and you can uh, moderate again, or you can, (laughs) or or you're, or, or you're, you're cured. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, the, the acceptance of, the, of being, of being, of, of understanding how powerless I was over alcohol at the time is what gives me power over alcohol today. It's what keeps me from picking up that first drink. So, you know, and sometimes, sometimes you, it's easier to accept that. And sometimes you just have to really dig yourself all the way to the bottom before you can start to climb your way back out of there. Which I think most of us that are on the I Am Sober app and um, you see a lot of people that are giving back, that's exactly where they were. In fact, Aqua just put out a kick-ass post about black holes. I don't know if you've seen that one. and I don't think so. But I definitely, I feel like I've crawled out of a black hole, I'll tell you that. And, you know, nothing's really, things are better. I'm not as uh, aggressive as I I usually uh, am when I'm drinking. Maybe a coworker here and there may like me again, but I still feel <laughs> I, I still feel I still have those aggressions in me. I, there's I get adrenaline where I can't even talk. Um, there's still a lot going on inside of me that I think I'll be working. I, I just don't think I don't ever think I'll reach that really high pinnacle of a Zen moment but it is better today. Of course. And, and that's just it is, you know, we, 
we have to kind of we, we have to make plans and not make results. And that's one of the biggest things is we can't sit there and say, okay, I'm doing this with the intent that in this period of time, this is what I should expect from myself. Yes. That's not how it works. We, we, have to, we have to take it one day at a time and see where we are today. Today is Tuesday, and I will see what I'm like today and what I need to work on today. And tomorrow, uh, tomorrow I'll worry about Wednesday, and I'm not going to worry about Wednesday until I wake up in the morning. And that's exactly why I wanted to bring it up is because I see a lot of people thinking that, oh, I have 12 weeks now and I thought I should have been feeling this and this should have happened. And I thought I should have lost like 10 pounds by now. And, and all these expectations that I just don't think are, you just got to kind of go with it. The expectations cannot, are sometimes not uh, manageable, you know? Right. And, and that's the hard thing is that we, you know, it, isn't that what we do? at school and in our jobs, as we say, well, if I do this much work, I should expect to receive an A. If I do this work, I should get a raise or a promotion. And so then we say, well, if I do this much work in sobriety, I should feel fine. But, you know, what people don't realize is the difference in that is that we, we even if we were never alcoholics, we would always be a work in progress we would always have something about ourselves that we needed to try to work on you know um maybe you know maybe you're a workaholic maybe you are anything else you know maybe you get angry easily but um but for us alcohol is the thing that we have to work on and we have to work on the root causes of our alcoholism and if we work on those we should do better that's right well, um, this is, do you want to, is there anything else you want to add? This has been a great interview. I, I, we don't know each other. We uh, talked a little bit on telegram, but we really don't know each other. So um, we kind of both just jumped in the fire, didn't we? We did. Yeah. This is the first time I've, I've seen your face. This is the first time we've actually met and spoken to each other directly. So, yeah. And that's how this, you know, I, I, that's how this podcast is, was just throw myself in the fire. <laughs> Let's see what happens. And I want to say, I really appreciate that you're doing this. This is, it's nice to have somebody from the app who's out here and helping people tell our stories. And, um, and, it, and it's nice that, um, that people in early sobriety, hopefully they'll, they'll listen to these stories and they'll realize that while things look pretty hopeless now, that there is a, a path forward into Keep coming back. Even yep. if you have to reset, keep coming back. Keep coming back, no matter what. And then who knows, one day they'll find out that they've been sitting in the same chair giving back and their souls have been restored, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, hopefully one day they'll be hoping that they say something to a person in early sobriety that helps get them through a hard day. Yeah. And I just, like I said, I really hope your daughter gets to listen to this one day and, and just, wow, my dad, my dad gave all that up and turned his life around for me. Cause I think it's really cool that you're doing that. And that's your name, dad life, right? That's it. Dad that, life. And yeah. Go ahead. And that's, cool. and you made that, or you created that name because of that moment, right? No, I, I actually had put that on there uh, well earlier when I joined the app before I actually made an effort at sobriety. 
um, oh. but you know, I, I was always about having a, a strong relationship with her. Um, and I always worked very hard at that relationship. And I always felt that that relationship was very strong and it was, but boy, is it so much stronger now? <laughs> yeah. Because I've seen a picture with you and your daughter. So that you posted up there and it's really cool. You guys look really happy together. Well, we like to dad life. I thank you very much. Let me close this out. And um, I'm going to try to get this up and get it posted today. I've already, (laughs) it's been a busy day. I've been up since three o'clock this morning working on this, my only day off. So, (laughs) but it's fine because like I said, it restores my soul too. And uh, you, coming on here helps me and then we can help others. And it's just a give, give it's a win-win. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, hopefully this, this will help somebody. That's what I'm hoping. Okay. Thank you for being with uh, the sober town podcast, jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety, jump into the arena and dump that poison down the drain. Thank you very much. Dad life. Thank you for having me. You bet. Hello, Sobertown, and welcome to the Sobertown podcast. My name is Polly, and I am on board the sober train this morning with one of my good sober buddies, Dad Life. Dad's Life is doing a follow-up interview with me on um, when he chatted with Drifter about, I hate to say story because this is our real life. It's not a story. It's not, it's not anything we've made up, so... What I'm going to do is follow up with him to find out um, whether he had any fallout or reaction from it. But before that, I will say, good morning, Dad's life. Good morning, Polly. (laughs) (laughs) What's the weather like up your way? I have got a gully washer down here in Texas. (laughs) Oh, it is. It is pouring here, but at least it's in the 70s. So I am not going to whine. We have the humidity and the storms we had last night, we're shoving them your way. So you're welcome to them. <laughs> we had golf ball sized hail last night. So it was uh, a pretty noisy night. But anyway, before we start chatting about the fallout or whatever from your interview, I'd like to ask you we know your name on I Am Sober app is Dad's Life. But if you can let people know what milestone you're on so that if they wish to follow you, because people who reach big milestones, can it, it can be inspiring and extremely encouraging to those coming in too. I am sober. So go ahead. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I just hit the 400-day milestone and uh, I'm about 26 days, I think, away from hitting the 14-month milestone. Um <laughs> And, and that's, the, I think, the most frustrating thing I find on the, um, the I Am Sober app is that you can't, uh, you can't just uh, see somebody in one of our Zoom meetings and then go look them up and say, hey, I, you know, I, I like what this person had to say and I'd like to follow them so I can you know, watch their posts. You have to kind of know what milestone they're at or you have to find a comment that they've made on somebody else's. And I think it would be much more much more simple if they could just look us up by name or by handle anyway. Yeah. But I think uh, the anonymity thing comes into it, doesn't it? And um, they they do have to be careful. So yeah, I can understand that because yeah, I know when I first came into the I am sober app, seeing people at even three months was like, 
whoa, yeah. And to hear the positivity coming out of these people was, it was so encouraging. It really was. Absolutely. And, and just, I mean, so, you know, making it to seven days and, you know, it was just an amazing milestone to me in the beginning. I, I really, I really never believed I would make it to a month, let alone three months, let alone six months, and then on to where I am now kind of closing in on 14 months. And I it's think as you gather momentum, yeah, as you gather momentum with the days building behind you, another day further away from your last drink, it, it becomes a mission almost to you that this is my life. This is my mission now. This is my mission you know, to live my best life. And one of the common things I hear from a lot of people, and I felt this myself, was that, you know, I really kind of felt like the best part of me kind of uh, went out in, inside of a bottle. You know, it, uh, I, I was sort of worried that, you know, the part of me that I may have liked the best, I had already drank to, into oblivion. And that all that was kind of left was the, the, the rather angry drunk guy. Um, and that, you know, that, that guy, the part of you that you really liked, it, it all comes back. It just, you know, you just have to do the work you have to do, you know, work on because, you know, a lot of emotions start coming up that you suppressed with the alcohol over time. And, and it really, it really is a hard thing to process in the beginning. And it's real easy to want to revert back to the, the booze so that you can kind of push that down and give yourself a timeout. But the, the, the hardest thing is learning how to sit with that and to let your body process it. Mm, Somebody said, no, one. Oh, go ahead. There's no timeouts in life. That's right. <laughs> and, 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 and those emotions, there's no such thing as a wrong emotion. That emotion is not there by accident. It's not there, you know, just to get at you. It, it is there for a reason. And the best way to, to move on from it is to sit there and think about where this is coming from and how you can move forward with it. Yeah, because we're meant to feel angry, we're meant to feel sad, we're meant to feel happy, joy. We're even meant to feel, oh, I don't feel like doing anything today. But even that's a feeling. And feelings are a whole body experience. They are not just in the mind. Because when you have one of those days where oh, I just don't feel like it, your whole body is tired, not just your mind. Um, Absolutely. And you know, your, your body and your mind are always tired in, in our drinking days. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not hardly any, there's not much sleep and then there's nope. not much rest. And, <laughs> and you, you, it, it's constantly like you're living in a, in a, in a crisis. Because and you so, are really, because really, the, <laughs> you, you're self-medicating all the time and you're never, I mean, I, I really believe that for the last part of mine, I wasn't sober at all because I would drink in the night time, in the evening and that, and you don't sleep it off. You can't sleep off that much drink before the next morning. Your body right. doesn't process it that well. And then you start topping yourself back up. So for a long time, I don't think I was ever really sober. I don't think I ever was sober completely, unless I gave it up for a week or so. No, and... I really feel like it took three months of sobriety before I really started to feel the, the, the long-term effects start to go away where I mean, maybe even to this day, I still have a little of the, the fog going yeah. on, 
But at, at that point, you know, in the, in the early days, it's such a big ride of the high emotions, the low emotions and, you know, everything else. Cause the, you know, your body chemistry is so far off because you've taken the alcohol out of the scenario. And yeah. You've taken the crutch away. Yeah. And it was so, it was hard to sleep. It was hard to eat. It was hard to focus on my life in any way. And it, um, it, and it was really kind of rewarding when I made to that through about three month mark and it really started to, you know, the, that black cloud over my head started to lift and, and I was able to start to, you know, really not only just survive these emotions that I was having, but actually begin to process them and work through them. I was talking with, um, I don't know if you saw that I did a follow-up interview with Elaine Eastsky. And she, yeah, she spoke about the first three months and she said she threw everything at those first three months. And she just, was, it was almost like being blinkered. You, you can't see around you. And I liken it to learning to drive a car because I learned to drive on a stick shift, as you call it here. So you've got to learn to look in the mirror, change the gear, declutch, um, see what's coming up behind you. So when you first try it, it's hard to take all that in at once and you tend to just be super focused forward. And I think sobriety, the first few months of that is the same kind of thing. You, you, you can't take in what's around you at first. You have to simply stay blinkered and stay focused because you go to AA and AA will always tell you that your sobriety comes first. Absolutely. And do you still go to daily AA meetings or not so much now? You know, I don't go every day anymore, um, but I, I try to go at least four times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I go to uh, two of the I Am Sober meetings a week in addition to that. Yeah. Um, and I go to one Al-Anon meeting a week beyond that even. Um, you know, in, in the early days, you know, when I first got a sponsor in AA and started working that program, my sponsor told me about 90 and 90 and getting to 90 meetings in 90 days. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, this was right around the time when the shutdowns all began for COVID. And so everything was on Zoom, all AA meetings anywhere were on Zoom. And it was much it was very easy for me in that moment to sit there and just go, OK, I'm going to go to these three meetings today. Because it, it requires no drive time, it requires no effort to get there. All I have to do is log in and go to the meeting. And I found meetings I really liked, and I found meetings that I really didn't like. And I continue to this day to go to the meetings I enjoyed, and I don't go to those other meetings anymore. It's like everything in life. Some things fit and some things don't. So you've got to find yeah. what fits. And with sobriety, getting sober, you have to work on what works for you. We're all different. Did you get any emotional fallout from the interview and telling um, Drifter about your early life and your, your, um, your, your decline into alcohol and how you got out of it? Did you get any fallout from that emotionally? You know, I really got a big lift out of some mm-hmm. of that. Um, you know, this is something, you know, those, the, the early days of life, you know, before alcohol, alcohol really took its hold on me, you know, through those years, you know, uh, just growing up with a, an alcoholic who was rather checked out of life for most of my life, um, it was a, a difficult thing for me to talk about. And it's difficult for me to talk about now, but between t- speaking with a, a therapist for the last, uh, you know, year and a half or so and yeah. 
Al-Anon meetings, which I resisted going to Al-Anon like crazy for a long time. But, you know, when I finally went and then when I finally went back and started actually taking it seriously and sharing and participating in the meetings, I really found that I got a lot out of it. And the, the, the thing that made me resist it the most was the uncomfortability of talking about these things in the first place. I think it's that's that's the thing. Um, and you feel very vulnerable as well when you start talking about where you've been, how you got there, etc. And and it it's hard to tell people, well, I didn't have a fairy tale childhood. You know, I didn't have my mom at home cooking dinner and dad coming home in the evening and all the family sitting around the table like this. Woohoo, lovely picture. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're not the Waltons. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's hard. And we always worry that we're going to be judged, I think. Do you feel, did that bother you? Know, I really did early on, um, especially right after I hit bottom. I started going to AA meetings and I would sit there just quietly on Zoom and uh, with my mute on and, you know, um, in this one meeting I started going to early on, they would just they would call your names alphabetically and they would get to me and say, hey, you ready to share this time? And I'd be like, nope. And I'd click leave and I'd be out of that Zoom meeting so fast. You know, they, they probably barely remember me at that point. <laughs> um, but finally, I, I did. I signed into a, a Zoom, a Zoom AA meeting one day and I was like, I feel like if I don't just do it, if I don't just do it today, then. I'm just not going to, and I'm going to let myself start to spiral backwards. And then eventually the, you know, the, the, the kind of disappointment in myself and that the hard thoughts of uh, how it was when I hit bottom are going to start to fade over time. And I'm going to find myself at the liquor store again. And also the one person in your life you talked about that motivated you to get your ass out of that recliner. And look at yourself and how where you were in your life. Right. You couldn't. You, that's the one person, in all honesty, and it brings tears to my eyes because I feel the same way about my grandchildren. I can't let them down. Um, Absolutely. To look at your children or your grandchildren and hope that they never look at you and feel that you are less than. It would break my heart now. It would and. You know, I've, I've tried to be very open with my daughter. She knows um, when I'm going to AA meetings or I am sober meetings. And, you know, um, on like, a, you know, a Saturday or Sunday morning meeting, sometimes she'll sit in my lap while I'm sitting there on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've explained to her kind of, you know, to, to the best that a five-year-old will understand what an alcoholic is and that I am one. And that, but, you know, the thing that really, really tagged me hard was when I was about to five or six months sober, she said, you know, I'm really glad that you're so happy now. And I was like, did, did, did I not used to be happy? No, you didn't used to look happy. Oh, my gosh. That is like, like a slap, isn't it? It's like oh, my child looked at me and I wasn't happy. Like I say, yeah. you, you never want to look less than in the eyes of your children. It just breaks your heart. And I remember when I told my three, I did go to AA my first time and I sat um, talking to my children, crying, absolutely crying, my eyeballs out saying, 
Um, I'm going to AA. I'd been, you heard in my story, 18 months I'd been driving past the local AA because it's on the way to my husband's clinic. And I kept saying, I've got to go in there, I've got to go in there, I've got to go in there. And I couldn't make that right turn. It's almost like when you say about, no, I'm not sharing, I'm gone. It's, there's a certain fear that this is real. This is really real. I have to do this. If I make the right turn and go into my first AA meeting, then I've got to do this. Absolutely. And it, it was it, it was the hardest thing I ever did to share in that meeting. And, I, you know, I, I, I think about that almost every day. I think of that first meeting still. And I mm-hmm. and I cried like crazy during that share. And I, 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 got, I got everything out. They let me share far longer than my time was really allowed for me to share. But they sat there and they all quietly listened, you know, with the rather, you know, unremarkable expression on their face and everything else. And finally, then the guy who was my who ended up being my sponsor said, said, you're in the right place, Dan. You know, um, and then he, he said, and if you're ready for the, the good news is you never have to feel this way again. Mm-hmm. And I was like. You know, that that really was like that first little plug of hope that life could get better, that maybe maybe that maybe this was not just a pipe dream. This wasn't something I was doing just to, you know, appease myself in the moment that, look, I made an effort and oh, well, I guess it didn't work out. You know, that this was actually something I could follow through with because I'm looking at all these people in the room five years, 10 years, eight years, you know, right around there. And these guys, they all did it. And not only that, as they tell their stories, they laugh at some of the things they used mm-hmm. to do. And it's, it was unthinkable it's that they would ever find this funny. <laughs> Those meetings can get quite crazy at times, but <laughs> it's another place where there is absolutely no judgment. Right. Absolutely none. And I think that is one of the hardest things to accept when we admit we've got an issue with alcohol, a problem with alcohol, we're alcoholic is people who don't understand look at you almost judgmentally as as if you're a defect. We're not a defect. No, not at all. We're we're ordinary people. (laughs) Right. And we we, we all have some kind of a a trauma or an issue that we have tried to fix with alcohol. And it's no different to anybody trying to fix it with food, right. with shopping. It's it's exactly the same kind of thing. It doesn't it doesn't matter what you choose to self medicate. It can be food, it can be right. shopping, we, it can be alcohol, it can be ice cream. Who knows? <laughs> right, and we, you know we we have a number of like people on the I am sober app. You see who you know are sex addicts or other mm-hmm. things, and it's. It, you know, the, the point is, it's not, you know, what you're doing. The point, you know, per se is that you are trying to fix a situation. And when you realize that this isn't working and you no longer want, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is, you no longer want these things in your life to be as toxic as they are, but you can't turn them off. Mm-hmm. That's when you realize you've fallen over the edge. I think, like you say, it took, you resisted going to Al-Anon for a long time um, mm-hmm. and you resisted sharing at first or whether it was resisting, I'm not sure, with AA. And it's that old thing of fear. Um, I, I, 
I listened to a meditative meditative story when I was walking one morning and you have these things that just all of a sudden you light up and you think, well, yeah, it's, you know, I think at my age I can still learn stuff. And it was, I did a, a post on I Am Sober about it because to me it was so significant and it, it it's so, it explains a lot of it is there was a young guy and he could not make that dive off the high dive board. And it was the fear of losing control of the dive once he'd left the board that was stopping him. And in the end, his dive coach turned around to him and said, are you ever going to make this dive? And he looked at his coach and said, yes. And he dived off the board. And he said, fear is only fear until after you've done it the first time. Once you've done it for the first time, the fear lessens. And Absolutely. And then you realize at times you, you made a, a deal of something that really didn't have to be because what were these people really going to think of my shares in an AA meeting? I certainly didn't have anything to share that they hadn't either heard before or said in uh, <laughs> uh, their own mouths. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I really, I'm not so special that I have some story that's going to frighten them or make them go, Oh Lord, look at this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you saying that I'm not so special. We're not special. We're just ordinary people, aren't we? With That's right. You know, tough times in our lives we've had and some of them we've given to ourselves um most of them we've given to ourselves the tough ones but some of them life has thrown at us um but I don't know about you since getting um I think I needed to go my first couple of times falling off the wagon to really get to where I am now because did you ever go through periods of sobriety nothing significant nothing significant i i joined the i am sober app in 2019 Mm -hmm. um in early 2019 and i would go a day i go two and then i'd reset and then a day or two then i'd reset then i'd be like well this is stupid and i'd delete the app and then i would download it again and i would then look and then i would sit there go you know and then just reset every day for a while and then wake up in the morning Oh my gosh, I cannot continue to do this. I, I've, I've got to, this has to stop. I'm going to die if I don't stop. And, and then, you know, by, you know, five or something o'clock when I'm on my way home, you know, I would be, you know, be drive, driving past a liquor store that was right next to a, one of my favorite restaurants right here where I live. And I go in, get dinner, go next door, get a bottle of whiskey and be on my way home. It, 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 it's hard when we've built a routine yeah. to break it. And it's like any routine we do. And I think the fact that you stayed in the app, you didn't, you did delete it, but you reinstalled it. I mean, how many people have we seen on the I Am Sober app? who said, well, I deleted the app last night, but I must want this because sometime in the night I reinstalled it again. Right. So, there's that little thing at the back of our mind that's really trying to fight its way out of the fog to say, you know, yes, you are killing yourself. And I think what you just said is no different to what a lot of us have all stood in the mirror the next morning and said, I can't do this anymore. 
I really cannot do this anymore. And we say that in the morning. And then as the day goes on, you get to, like you say, on the way home, I would be heading towards picking up my husband from his clinic. I would pass the gas station. I would go whoop in there, grab the wine, pick up the husband, come home. And I knew I didn't have to go out again, so I could start drinking straight away. You know, it timing it and things like that. So, yeah, and the times looking in the mirror saying, why are you doing this? You're killing yourself. Do you really want to die? Yeah, and, and then you get to this point of despair, at least I did, where I started to you know, think, I, I think when I was drunk, maybe it would just be better if I didn't wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then this could all be over. And, I mean... You know, look at look at everyone around me. They, wouldn't they be better off if I if I were gone? You know, um, and, and I, I'm glad that I never. I'm glad that I didn't die. I'm glad that I I lived to see what sober life was like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's it's not sunshines and roses all the time. It's not wonderful every day, but it is so. You know, I, and I tell this to people all the time because somebody said this to me in early sobriety, and it and it rings so true now that. My worst day, or my my worst day now, is far better than my best day when I was drinking. Yeah. So yeah, um, that is so true because even on the days when you were still hungover the next morning, you right. still reach for the glass later in the day. It was just so devastating. But we couldn't seem to break out of it, and it takes one thing to just click. Um, and like I say, my first couple of times, it didn't, I got, I, did, I stopped drinking is all I can say. Did I get sober my first few times? Obviously not, because I went back to drinking. But right. this time, it, 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 this time I feel more alive than I've ever felt in a long, long time. Yeah. And, and I think those first three months, it's, we really aren't sober during those months. We really are just dry. And, and it really takes a, a, you know, a point of getting a, a strong footing and to, to get to a point of more emotional stability to really start having that introspection that lets you think through where these feelings are coming from and lets you work through them. Um, yeah. And, and then, you, then you can really start working on sobriety. That comes after. <laughs> it's just making it through each day. And... Um, I still do each day. I mean, I'm coming up on 11 months this time and I'm still only doing each day. Uh, Absolutely. One day at a time is is such an important thing and it's such an easy thing to forget. And I remember right as I was approaching about a year, um, you know, I I really kind of had the blues really bad uh, through that period, through these last, the last week. And, uh, and I, I remember sharing in an I am sober meeting that, I said, I really feel like I should be over the moon that, you know, a year is right over the horizon. It's like three days away. I should be, you know, this should be the good, such a great time for me, you know, and, and you know, um, and then uh, Amy Lovell said, to me, you know, well, why don't you, you know, just think about one day at a time and, you know, just keep, keep thinking that way every day, wake up and worry about only today and don't get so far ahead of yourself. And, and in that moment, I was like, you know what, you're right. I wasn't taking it one day at a time. I was making results. I wasn't making plans. And I was setting myself up to be let down and to start moving backwards again. And how many people do we see um, in the early days of the I Am Sober app saying, well, how will I manage at a wedding? 
How, how will I manage on a night out? How will I manage this? Don't think about those things. Right. It, don't set yourself up for failure before you've even got out of the first week. Those are things to tackle when you get to them. Not Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, it's something that I haven't had to face so heavily because I got sober during COVID. Um, you know, you know, there's not a lot of bars to go to or, you know, places that you would go to eat, things like that. But, you know, it's one of those things I've sort of, you know, I have thought in my head. And, and we, we read in the I Am Sober book club, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And, oh, yeah. and <laughs> she talked in that book about having an exit strategy whenever you go to a party or you go to a restaurant with a bar. Or, and, you know, when this gets to be too much, don't go yeah. around and say your goodbyes. Just leave. I know. That was one of my favorite books. That one was, I mean, I mean, what I liked about her book was that, yes, she talked about her decline into the alcohol and I could, she, I, I had, I've got the actual book and I've got the audio book and I would be listening to the audio book and some of the things she was saying about what she did with the alcohol, I would think, Oh my God, yes, I can totally relate to this. And then, but what I liked about hers was she talked about post-alcohol, what you do yes. afterwards, because this is the important bit. It's the after the alcohol. And uh, someone said to me, um, stopping alcohol is the easy part. Staying off the alcohol is where the work starts. You know, it, it's easy to, to stop drinking. To stay stopped is, is the work. Um, you use I Am Sober quite a lot, don't you? The app that we're both on. I do. I, um, you know, in the beginning, I really got the app just to be a counter. And before I discovered that there was a whole community on there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, I, I really do try to post when I hit a milestone and I try to post and I, I try to post um, either reminders for the Zoom meetings, but you know, really just a general statement of how I'm doing sometimes just to try to talk through it and um, just and, and to put it out there because this is a, a group of people that, I mean, 14 months ago, I would never have trusted a group of anybody else, whether I knew you or not, to with, with something that was going on with me. And now I feel like I can, I can put it out there and, and really kind of uh, either get positive feedback or at least I just got it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you get it out, you can process. And uh, you're starting to, by doing this, you're actually giving back. Um, is that becoming important to you the further you get into sobriety or is it just the way it is sort of thing? You, you're sober and that's. You know, it, it absolutely is so vital to sobriety. I mean, reaching out to try to to work with another alcoholic, to try to, to help them, to try to, especially people in the early days, to try to encourage them and say, look, this is possible. I know it doesn't look like it now, but this is possible. This is, There mm-hmm. is that that better life is out there waiting for you. you, you you've just got to get there. And it, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of tears, but it's out there. Um, how many resets do you think you had? Oh, five million. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I reset know. every before I went into AA. I think I reset every morning if I was to count those. 
because you do, you get up every morning and you say, that's it, I'm done, I can't keep doing this. And then you reset the next morning. And, but you can do it. It just takes that little bit of, like you say, you did the AA when it was, you had the I am sober first. Right. Some, people, some people do the AA first and then the I am sober. How did you find the I am sober app? You know, I knew I had a problem. I just, I, I didn't, I couldn't talk about it with anybody. I, I didn't have anyone who, who really understood um, or who, who I felt like I could go to with this. So I, I, I kind of just looked for a counter or some other way that I could find out how to do this by myself because those 12 steps were just stupid and I wasn't going to do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I didn't need their help. I didn't need them to tell me how to not drink. All I have to do is not pick up the stupid bottle today. I, I know better than them. And, you know, <laughs> <That's familiar. laughs> you know, I, I mean, I was, I was kind of that, that, that classic alcoholic, the egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and it, it really, than it, everybody it, else. <laughs> absolutely and you know arrogance was definitely i definitely exuded arrogance that i didn't feel i think we partake in the seven deadly sins when we're alcoholics because we we definitely indulge ourselves because we always think now i haven't got a problem i don't need aa i just need to not buy a bottle of alcohol today Right. And then all my problems will be solved. Yeah. And for the next joke. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the truth is I had a me problem that I was medicating with alcohol. I think we all do because um, it's ourselves and dealing with things that cause us to pick up the drink in the first place because something is too hard for us to deal with. Well, you know, and I think that we're very all or nothing sort of people, too, that we we we, we see we see things that we do. And while well, what we've done is is fine, it's not perfect. And then it's unacceptable to us. And it doesn't meet the results that we made, let alone, you know, and that's where I come to the idea of making plans and not making results. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I kind of got a lesson in that recently, too. I, you know, I got angry with the. Um, with somebody uh, on a Zoom meeting who changed the, the parameters of a deadline that I had been working on and, yeah, um, you know, uh, kind of at the last second. And I was on mute the whole time, but I got angry. I started shouting, might have thrown something. I totally kind of lost control of myself for a minute. And then it was over. But then I just couldn't let, go, let it go. And, and it finally, it, it kind of came out to me that the, the, the real problem was is that I had really thought I'd left that part of me behind and that I, I was striving for perfection and not progress. And that I didn't realize that I hadn't had a big explosion like that in so long. You know, but, yes. And, and I had to remember that, okay, fine. So this is, this is what you did. You, you behaved like a big jerk. So, you know, now let's figure out who you need to apologize to and, who you need to make right with and then you can move on from this and you can realize you you were wrong but- i think yeah i think that's the the best part about sobriety is the growth that we we have absolutely and you were shocked that you got angry but here we go again it's an emotion and you're meant to feel it and you're meant to feel aggrieved at times but the difference is that 
now you, you, after it was over, you sat back and you thought through the process. Well, why did I do that? You know, what have I got to do to fix this? If you'd have been drinking, that wouldn't have happened. No, in my drinking days, I would never have even realized I was wrong, let alone been willing to apologize for it. Mm -hmm. Like, screw you. I don't have anything to apologize to you for. <laughs> You're the one, yeah. you, you wronged me. I just, I just put this, this, this situation right. Mm -hmm. Superiority. This is what we do have a sense of superiority, don't we? But I don't know <laughs> about you, but I have laughed so much. I would say the last six six months, my laughter has been better than my tears. The tears I've had have mostly been tears of laughter, which those are the tears I'll take. Um, sure. And your daughter saying she likes you happy. I mean, look at your smile. I mean, people can't see it, but you've got this huge smile on your face. It's so good to see. Um you were one of the first people I saw when I came into a Zoom meeting and um, I was nervous. I'm, I'm used to talking, as you can tell. <laughs> Most people know. But you were the one of the first people that I came into a Zoom meeting and I did get into a breakout room with you that was, you were so generous, so kind. It was wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And some people you can fit with, like you say, and I, I feel like I can I can follow you and I can enjoy watching your journey. Um, and I think your daughter is so lucky because she's got a dad who loves, as we say in the UK, the absolute bones of her. Um, <laughs> wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. And I think here's one thing about sobriety that, we do things in a sober life, and this is a weird thing. We do it with our whole self. Absolutely. There's, we're, we're, we're not operating on autopilot trying to get through the day to our next drink, where we actually get to be aware. And, you know, I actually, you actually get to a point, and I thought this was bull first, that mm -hmm. I would actually go through a day when I didn't think about a drink. Yeah, But it, it is a rare day that a drink pops into my head now. And I can go through the day and I can listen to the interesting jokes that a five-year-old tells or something. And, and I can sit there and I can laugh and play with her and do these things or focus on my work up here. And I'm all in yeah. wherever um, I'm at in the moment. And when I'm taking time for myself, which is also unheard of to, you know, just read for pleasure or alone or to go and do something on my own um you know it really has you know meant a lot to have that time and to be able to be just in that moment uh you laugh at people when they say you need to take me time <laughs> what the heck but once you get sober you value me time the quiet time where there's no distractions it's just you and whatever you're doing at that time whether it's soaking in the bath, reading a book, going for a walk, whatever, those become precious moments. Yeah, I, I like to play golf and I make sure I try, I, I try before I hurt my shoulder, I tried to make sure I got out as often as I could to go play. And so, you know, that was that nice quality me time. I just would go by myself and just 
play 18 holes and then go home. And I think, um, like I say, this, this whole body experience, when you're happy, your whole self is happy. When you're angry, your whole self is angry, obviously. But I have found myself able to step back quicker from situations than I would have done before. Absolutely. And assess it. Do you find you can cope better now when you see something come in, you can step back from it and think, okay. Um, yes. You know, when, whenever I feel myself starting to kind of revert, you know, or, or to lose control of myself for the most part, you know, I can, I can, I have the ability to say now, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- why is this such a problem to you? This is not, uh, this is not a terrible thing. Yes. You, you, yes. You, you know, nobody likes to feel disrespected, but everybody feels disrespected at some point. So, you know, it, you know, is my, undoing some of the progress I made really going to make me feel more respected after this is over? Mm -hmm. No. And I think we are more proactive people than reactive people now that we're sober. Definitely. Um, Because if I'd have been drinking, if I'd have seen something that annoyed me, my reaction would have been through the roof straight away. Now I'm proactive. Absolutely. You know, you're, it's like we were saying before, you're always in that kind of fight or flight stage. And so, you know, you, you're, you're constantly, you know, fighting a war in your own mind and you, you just can't make it stop. And, you know, and finally, you know, it doesn't, you know, you realize after a period of time of, of sobriety that you don't need to fight this anymore because there's no, there's nothing left to fight for, you know, the only thing you're fighting for is your ability to move forward. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, interviews Drifter did was with I Must, and she said um, she doesn't argue with the wine witch anymore. And yeah. She shuts it down. And if you shut it down, there's no argument. And if there's no argument, then you just happily go on your way. And something that I have truly enjoyed um is time um how much time sometimes i wonder some days now where does all the time go because i am doing i'm constantly moving um and i think how did i do anything when i was drinking because every evening i did nothing from like four o'clock three o'clock some days nothing got done really and yeah. now I've gained time. Absolutely. And, and, and for me, you know, uh, the majority of my drinking was done in the evening. You know, I would, I would only try to have a little, you know, I would try to drink a little here and a little there just to kind of keep myself evened out, you know, before I, I put my daughter to bed. But then I would drink till I passed out. Yeah. Um, after that. Um, but, you know, then... Now I, I don't have to, to do that. I, I can I can sit there and uh, you know spend some t- quality time with my wife. Yeah. I can um, spend quality time by myself. I can watch TV or I can read a book or I can do so many different things. You know I can come back up here to the office I'm sitting in now and you'll know, get more work done. Yeah, it's um, 
I put a joke up the one time that I didn't even realize there was TV shows after 7 p.m. in the evening. So <laughs> and you actually get, how many times did you start watching something and you could not <laughs> it ended before uh, you didn't see the ending, sort of thing. And nowadays you're going back and revisiting movies that you don't even remember watching. Oh, there, there was yeah, there was a documentary I used to watch every night after my wife would go to bed while I sat there and just drank myself till I passed out. It was on a, yeah. a documentary on Watergate. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I must have watched that a thousand times. <laughs> and, and ever since I got sober, I, I just can't bring myself to watch that again. It, it, sort, of, it, it sort of just you know, it just takes me right back to that moment. <laughs> My husband loves watching the History Channel. That's one of his favorites. He absolutely loves the history. So, I mean, because he doesn't get out much, actually, bless his heart. But I have loved this chat, you and I. This has been wonderful to do a catch-up. And I would like to do it again sometime. So, you know, just follow up. Yeah, because I think we need to encourage these people that are coming into this life of sobriety and prove to them that life is good. If, if anything, life is, excuse my French, freaking amazing. You know, it, it's joyful. There is, uh, judging by the smile on your face, you have joy in your life. You know, I do. And um, did you ever think you would no. think like this? No. You know, I, I mean, I was, a, you know, kind of a control freak. I was angry all the time. And the world just was, you know, it was never my fault. It was that something happened that caused all this. And, <laughs> You know, and, and now it, it's so much easier when, you know, things go right. I can go, OK, well, I, I guess I planned well. And if, if things go badly, I actually have the introspective ability to sit there and say, well, what, where did I what did I not do well here? And I can take that as information and not as an attack. Yeah, it whole different perspective on life we've gained. And I say I, have an enth- I haven't got an addictive personality. I've got an enthusiastic personality is what I say. <laughs> and I'm glad that I'm enthusiastic about life. Um, thank you so much for this chat. Um, I know thank you for it's having pretty me. early for you, but this has been a joy and we're going to do it again. So thank you, Dad's Life, for sitting down on the train with me and riding into the wonderful world of sobriety because it truly is and Dad's life can vouch for it. It truly is a wonderful world. In the words no of Louis Armstrong. In the words of Mr. Louis Armstrong, it's a wonderful world. Thank you, darling, so much. Thank you. Enjoy your day. You too. Well, that was a wonderful, wonderful interview. Such a happy interview. People, life is happy after alcohol. It really is a joy. So this is Polly about to climb off the train and go and make another cup of tea. And just to let you know that my usual riding partner, Karina, is on a technology detox at the moment for two days because she is doing an experiment because her and I will be discussing healthy sleep habits, etc. When we ride on the train on our next podcast on Sunday. So please, I hope you enjoyed this interview that I did with Dad's Life. Um, please go in there, follow him. He is a wonderful inspiration. He's a, a beautiful dad. 
And I thank you all for listening. And this is Polly climbing off the train. Bye-bye. <laughs>